Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Grayscale Gorilla podcast. Today's episode was recording during a YouTube Q&A with me and Chad, where we talk about how to create better lighting in Cinema 4D. We talk about some of the common lighting mistakes and how to fix them. And we talk about why scale matters so much when it comes to lighting in Cinema 4D. We also answer a ton of your questions. It's a Q&A format, and we thought, what a better place to put it than here on the podcast. So let's jump on in there. And if you want to see the full version of this, including the video where we jump into Cinema 4D, check the show notes below. And if you want to join the live stream live, don't forget to subscribe over on YouTube. We hope to see you there soon. All right, with that, let's head on into today's episode and join the Q&A. Well, hello, everybody. Hi, Chad Ashley. How are you, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Hello there, YouTube. Hello, Twitch. Hello, Facebook. Thank you guys for joining us for another live show. Hope you're doing well. Uh, as always, I want to appreciate you guys for showing up here live. And we we want to hear where you guys are from. This is my favorite part to kind of start the show off. Uh, where in the heck is everybody from? We got some Twitch members here. Oh, joining nice. Up. Germany, Florida. Thank you guys so much for joining. Today, we will be talking about lighting tips. We're going to be talking about rendering and making beautiful lighting in Cinema 4D. Uh, a little bit later, we'll be jumping into Cinema 4D. I know Chad's got a really cool scene file to show you guys. Uh, hey, look at all this stuff. Chicago, France, Germany, Michigan. What's uh, up, Michigan. Dan? Michigan's here. What's up, Dan? Cheers from Michigan as well. Love it. Sweden, Ukraine, Switzerland. Thank you guys so much for joining. Uh, so stay tuned. We're going to be jumping into Cinema 4D. And we'll also be answering your lighting questions. So uh, if you guys have lighting questions, you've had uh, thoughts on how to get a particular look in, in when re rendering or just lighting questions in general. As you guys know, lighting is such a hugely important part of rendering. Uh, I mean, literally nothing shows up if you don't have lights. <laughs> it's, it's a little dark if you don't. If you don't. <laughs> hey, Mike. Good to see you, buddy. Mike's uh, near near my part of town. Yeah, as well. I saw Hope Mike go well. by. I was like, oh, yeah, I know that dude. Good to see you, man. That's great. Awesome. Uh, and do us a favor, guys, uh, especially those of you on YouTube. Uh, wake up the YouTube robots. Help us wake up the YouTube robots by hitting the thumbs up button. Uh, it lets YouTube know that we're live. It, and it recommends our video to other people who subscribe to the channel. And, uh, and also if you're not subscribed, you want to get notifications for this stuff. That's what notifications and the bells and the subscribing is all about. That's why, uh, that's why people say that. So if you want to see more of these live shows or get reminders, do the, do the notification thing. <laughs> Please Milwaukee. say Milwaukee. Nice. No here. Oh, I can't click in the thing. I got to click down here. I get, I saw, uh, Ridvin, I'm going to go with Ridvin, is asking uh, to, mm -hmm. to say my catchphrase. See, I, I minted that catchphrase in NFT now, and somebody else <laughs> actually owns it, which means I can't say it. So uh, it's for an undisclosed amount, somebody grabbed that. But um, yeah. Smart move. Smart move. <laughs> it was years ago, before the whole NFT thing took off. Yeah, you were ahead of the curve on that. Look, it's why I can't say it anymore. Uh, it's it's not mine. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh hope you guys are well hope you guys are, 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 are what do they say printing tendies i hope you're printing tendies and nft uh and and diamond handing as well all of you guys mm. um trying to stay cool guys <laughs> you're doing a great job buddy thanks <laughs> uh hungry and 
Slovakia. That's amazing. That's that wild. Is, that is so cool. Thank From Orlando to Slovakia. Like, that's crazy. Wow. Milwaukee, what's up? Cheers to you. Thank you guys so much for joining today. Um, uh, please uh, continue. Let us know where you're from. We'd love seeing that stuff. Um, like I said, uh, when we get rolling here, we're going to be answering your questions. So if you have a question, get it ready. Um, and we'll have you type like question colon and then ask a question or um, like a Q colon. And then that way we'll know which ones are questions. We'll try to answer as many as we can. And then um, after we do a few of those, we're going to jump into um, uh, Cinema 4D and then uh, uh, show you guys some lighting um, lighting tips right from within Cinema 4D. So um, get ready for that. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Look at that. Brooklyn, Poland. This is cool. Yeah, right. it's, I'd love to really know, like, what's the thing that you guys get hung up on in lighting? Like, what what is it that that trips you up? Like, that to me would be great. Yeah, that's actually a good question. If you guys want to uh, say that in chat, I'm going to leave the chat <clears> rolling um, just for now. Uh, let us know where you guys get hung up on lighting. I know that one of my biggest mistakes, I'll share one of mine first. Maybe it'll kind of spur some conversation. Um I know I've told the story many times of learning how lighting, learning how to translate real world lighting, studio lighting, which I was familiar with, with photography and bring that into Cinema 4D, which obviously started like Hit Pro and all this other stuff. But even more than that, I think it was really an unlock to me early on, understanding that a bunch of point lights, uh, no matter how many point lights you add to your scene, it will never look good, basically. <laughs> um, I know with all the third-party rendering that this is kind of uh, almost a moot point at this at this point. But for anybody getting started with learning lighting, uh, understanding the power of area lights and the sizes of your light was a really big unlock for me, not only in 3D, but in the real world. Going from the flash on my camera to a flash that was off of my camera in another direction to a softbox, to a ring light that I used to carry around, literally around my camera. Chad remembers those days. Oh, yeah. uh, a, a little four-inch, five-inch ring light that I could move and, and light with. So understanding that the shapes of lights and uh, not just a big square or even a little uh, circle uh, was enough to really make beautiful lighting was a really big unlock for me. Um, Trey says size of light. Size is huge. How many times have we talked about scale now on these live shows, Chad? <laughs> a few times, yeah, definitely a few times for sure. So one more little housekeeping note before we get started here, answering some questions. Um, you know, we're, we've been doing these live shows, uh, I think, every other week now for a few weeks. And, um, you know, our goal with these is to help you guys understand some of the stuff that uh, isn't really talked enough about in the 3D world. So there's obviously a ton of tutorials. We have a ton of them too about the tools, about Cinema 4D and about how to click the right buttons to make all this stuff on the screen and make a bunch of things go dynamic and explode and all that stuff. But the things that really made my work better and many other artists out there are going through the same thing, the thing that really helped me make better renders is learning the fundamentals of lighting and materials and cameras and design and composition and lenses and all the things we're trying to talk about in these live shows. So um, stay tuned for more of these live shows. We're here to help the artist um, make more beautiful stuff. And uh, it, it, lighting was always one of the most important things to me and it was a struggle early on. And so that's why we're here to try to answer some of your questions about this stuff and uh, and get it going. Uh, light, Mike 
adds uh, reassigning lights to specific objects and hiding them for other other objects. Huge in my rendering. Not sure how to do it in Cinema 4D. Oh, oh, we could help you with that, Mike. We could help you with that. Now, can you do that in all the renderers, Chad? Um, what Mike's talking about is the ability mm -hmm. to take a light and say, hey, softbox, hey, light, only light specific objects in the scene. In other words, instead of in the real world where you'd have to flag off a light or try to block it in some way or try to position it in a way to only light certain things, in 3D, we have more control. And in many renderers, you have the ability to say, hey, don't include this light when you're calculating your brightness. Do all renderers support that at this point, Chad, or is it dependent on some of the third-party renderers? I mean, uh, yeah, that's called light linking in, um, and that's, yeah, that's a huge, 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 huge part of lighting 3D is, is light linking. Uh, and the fact that we can do it so painlessly, mostly painlessly, uh, is great. So we don't have to use flags, although we do sometimes. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a huge part of it. And to, to answer your question, yes, but some of them do it better than others. I would say that, um... Octane's workflow is actually a little bit janky compared to Redshift and Arnold. So I'm hoping like that becomes easier. Uh, in fact, I think they only support up to eight different uh, links, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, it's a little bit weird in Octane. But in Redshift and Arnold, it's actually, it works just like regular cinema. Good yeah. to know. Good to know. I know Octane was... a. a like a little different than the other ones for a while, but it, it seems like that's all possible now. Yeah, they have it now. It's just not quite as seamless, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah, that's great. People are asking, uh, let me see if I can pull this one up here. Um, <laughs> crap, I invested in Octane. That's okay. Octane's right. great. We like Octane. Um, I've, uh, I'm using it now. Uh, how to get a straight, here's a question. Um, uh, so let yeah, let's go ahead and start throwing up some questions here. Uh, I see the cues. Thank you guys for for doing that. We're just gonna get right to answering some questions. And like I said, we're gonna jump into cinema in a little bit as well. Um, so a uh, <laughs> box of chocolates says um, how to get a straight on camera flash. That's a really easy one. Um, take a light, uh, parent it to your camera. Make sure it's aiming at your uh, kind of out with the lens. And um, uh, and then just parent it right to your camera. Just make it a child of your camera. Now, no matter where your camera goes, there will always be a big old light right on it. In fact, Cinema 4D by default has a default light that you can go in and turn off. Uh, at many of our older tutorials, when it didn't turn off automatically, you'd have to go turn off the default light. Many of you might remember that. That was a basically an on-camera flash look that made sure whatever you're aiming your camera at uh, was lit. Now it's not a very flattering look. Um, it's, it makes things very flat. It makes things look like they're, you know, lit with a flash on a camera. In fact, even just bringing that light up into the right, just a little bit, the same that it would be on like a point and shoot camera, like up into the left or up into the right, a little will give you a little bit of sense of shadow in the background that, a, that, a um, like a Polaroid flash would give that alone will make it more dynamic than just literally right on the lens, which is never a light source you'll ever see. You, you can never in real life have a light source basically right where the lens is because your head's there, the camera's there. So try to move it a little bit, but that, that will give you that really flat, flashy uh, light. 
Yeah, I would also use a probably a spotlight or an IES light so that you get a little bit more control over the throw of the light. And then make sure that you're uh, using a pretty intense inverse fall off from the source of the light so that it falls off to, to shadow very quickly the way that a real flash does. Because if you're on a flash and you notice like somebody's 10 feet away, then they don't really get the light as much. So just try to use like a nice steep fall off on that light. Yeah, that's that's a good point. The fall off will actually make it give it that Polaroid look where everything up front is almost blown out. Part of that, and I keep going to Polaroid because I studied how to make Polaroids for a long time, but that is a part of that look to me is very, very uh, flat light with a lot of fall off because film is also very... Um, uh, it's very contrasty. So you get these really dynamic shifts from what is being lit really close to the background. So that, that fall off is everything. Dial that fall off um, to, yeah, to make sure use, it's not too bright. Yeah, don't use an area light for that because it's the shadows are going to be way too soft because the source is like a source of a flash is like super tiny. So you want to make sure that you're using like a spot or something like that. Travis has a good question here. Um, says, uh, what what makes good lighting versus bad flat? It's easy to see but hard to dial in. Um, Travis, I think you're on onto something already with this with this flat lighting. In fact, we just said it. It's very tricky to get really beautiful lighting with with a light that is flat and that is from the front. Um, it is a very specific look. Again, Polaroid has that look. Um, other flash photography. Um, you know, some even studio, uh, you know, like Sears photography kind of thing has a very frontly flat look for a reason, but unless you're going for, for that look in particular, what you want to make sure is that you have lights off to the side and off to the back. Um, just really easy. First thing to do is just, is always experiment with moving your light to the side and to the back of objects before you commit to something too bright in the front. And that will keep you from, uh, having flat or overly bad lighting. In fact, I think we talked a lot about this maybe two live shows ago. And the thumbnail of it is a bunch of area light maps um, of like soft boxes and stuff. If you want to go back and revisit that one, we actually dive in a little bit more on some of the ways that we set up light like that. We talk it talk about it through HDRIs and where to set up light, but we talk a lot about that one. But not having a front light is is really one of the best things you could do. Chad, you have a tip for Travis? Yeah. So the way that we interpret scale as humans is through light and shadow. So we can tell how big things are. We talked a bit about this in the last lighting show that we did, but really uh, lighting is just about informing people what the shape is of what you're lighting through shadow. So it, it's not super interesting, like Nick was saying, if you lit something like straight on, it's not very interesting uh, unless you're doing maybe like cosmetic work or beauty work where uh, that sort of lighting is preferred. But it's usually more interesting to show some, give some shadows, give some definition of what you're looking at, rake the light across the side, try it backlit. And just just look at it, and if it's interesting to you, it's going to be most likely to be interesting to the viewer. Awesome, man! We got a lot of good questions here. We're going to try to get to as many of these as we can. Um, oh goodness, this one's already from five minutes ago. We got to go. Let's go. Um, let's go with uh, best. Let's try this one, Andrew. Uh, 
we'll try to answer these pretty quickly, guys, so we can try to get to as many as we can. Thank you, by the way, for bringing all these awesome questions. Best volumetric lighting options in Octane. I'm actually interested in this one. How do you set that up uh, in Octane, Chad? I haven't done it in a long time. I just recently kind of got back into Octane. I, I took a break from it for a long time, and I just kind of came back to it in 2020.2, I believe. Um, but we have a couple different tutorials, I think, on our YouTube that talk about this. And then, of course, we've got the amazing course by David Ariev that's in plus right now. Um, but if I remember correctly, you're setting up a atmospheric uh, object, I believe, and then making sure the light is in there. And I'm, I might be butchering that. So if somebody's in the comments that knows exactly it, feel free to, to hit that, hit that answer. Um, but yeah, I really, I haven't, I haven't, I'm just now kind of getting my feet back into octane. Um, but yeah, it's a good question. We have plenty of stuff on, on plus about that. I know that for sure. Yeah, that's true. I know David. So, um, if you're familiar with David Aryev, he's, uh, great octane artist we had him do a kind of a, a getting started with octane series in grayscale gorilla plus uh, i know many of you here are plus members so you guys have access to that go check it out uh if, even if you're not brand new to octane watch uh some of the end of that first video because he dives into some of the lighting settings um uh, and, and I know he talks specifically about foggy lighting and volumetric and all that kind of stuff so make sure you check that one out um all right, let's see here. Uh, thank you guys, by the way. Um, uh, like I said, a lot of a lot of uh, you guys out there are from Plus. We sent this email out this morning. Make sure you guys are here to ask questions. Uh, we're going to answer questions from anybody, but we also know many of you are here from Plus and asking specific questions. So we're, like I said, thank you guys, and we're going to get to as many as we can. Um, all right, we got an Octane X question. Let's take a one millisecond talk about Octane X um, because with all of these new Macs coming out, I'm interested to see how these new chips work with Octane X. I don't even know if the M1 stuff's compatible. So Nick, this is not really an answer other than I'm interested too in figuring this out. Um, and as we learn more about Octane X uh, compatibility and what machines it's running on and also the speed, we're gonna try to get the word out to you guys. So um, that's all I had to say about that one. Anything else for Octane X, Chad? I mean, I'm... I'm I'm only a uh, an Apple user in like, what would you call it like a casual Apple user. Recently, got back into the uh, the iPhone and I got an iPad Pro and I even got myself an Apple Watch. But yeah, I mean, I look at what they're doing in the Apple Silicon and I'm excited to see where it goes. I know that um, I, I think I read. I think Jules from a toy posted that uh, it was like a number one app or something like octane x like like somehow like they're featuring it somehow on the apple site which i think was really cool but if you're out there if you're listening and you are using octane x on a mac let us know because i'm curious what that's like too and like if you can compare it to uh, a pc like what's that like i'd be interested to know awesome um let's see here we got um Let's go. Let, let me answer the. There's a question. I, I, I think I want to make sure that that we don't go down this rabbit hole of Octane versus Redshift versus you know whatever because they're all very very similar and they all do great stuff. 
So I don't think, you know, we, we probably aren't going to get into the, the, this over that, or this is better than this in that way, because at the end of the day, we're all just like here trying to make the best images we can. And obviously these are like really good renders. Each one of them has their strengths. So yeah, I don't worry if we start talking about Octane, it doesn't mean that Arnold isn't good or it doesn't mean Redshift isn't good. Don't, don't take it the wrong way. Like it's all lighting. They all kind of do similar stuff. Just wanted to get that out there. Agreed. Uh, let me let me address this question real quick because I this is something not lighting related, but is also something that's happening here at Grayscale Gorilla. I just wanted to clear up something. Andrew's asking, why don't you support <clears throat> uh, perpetual user licenses and updates if they're practically the same plugin as Grayscale Gorilla Plus? So what Andrew's talking about, thank you for the question, by the way. What Andrew's talking about is we just put out an announcement uh, last week, actually, on our website about perpetual licensing and how we've uh, stopped selling single licenses for any of our plugins or material collections uh, or anything else. Uh, so starting, I think it was Monday, uh, Plus will be, is the only way to, to join Grayscale Gorilla and get everything we have. So now that everything is inside of Plus, um, all the HDRIs, all of our plugins, all the training, Plus is the only way to, to really come join Grayscale Gorilla. Um, so many uh, perpetual user, uh, uh, perpetual plugin users are asking, hey, if you're going to keep everything updated for Plus, why not uh, extend that to all perpetual uh, license holders? And that way it's all the same, right? It's all the same code, guys. Why don't you just make it really easy? And the answer is it's, is it's not. So we actually forked our code um, a few years ago now and specifically built Plus versions of our plugins that are optimized, uh, always up to date, working with the latest renderers, working with the latest chips, things like M1 uh, compatibility are already all set to go for Plus members. And it actually, uh, you know, not to get too behind the scenes, is a huge amount of work to keep two code bases running. So I won't go too in the weeds with this, but for many years, we've actually kept Perpetual running uh, exactly because we didn't, wa we wanted both to run. And we ran two completely separate code bases to make sure that Perpetual users could stay up to date. Well, now that everything is inside of Plus, and now that we wanted to make uh, much cleaner versions of our plugins that are uh, always up to date and really let us focus our time on our, frankly, what is most of our uh, customers, we needed to make a decision to make sure that our perpetual customers uh, are up to date all the way through whatever the next version of Cinema 40 is. And then after that, Plus will be the only way to stay up to date with new versions of Cinema. So happy to answer any other questions around that, but I just wanted to clarify for you guys, if you, just one last thing about this, if you are using our plugins and you're using them on an older version of Cinema 40 or even a current version, if you're using it on 23 and you bought a perpetual license, that, that plugin will work on 23 for a long time. The only time you're gonna wanna make sure you upgrade to Plus is if you uh, want everything, of course, you want everything we have, Plus is the way to get it. But also if you upgrade your version of Cinema 40 to, uh, and want to stay up to date with the latest versions of Cinema 40, then you're gonna wanna make sure you have a Plus license. So hopefully I answered some of those questions there. Um, and if there's any other questions, please feel free to um, uh, hit up support and you know ask any questions you got there. So. If you haven't read that uh, article as well, we have it on our blog and we always wanna make sure you guys are taken care of. So make sure you go read that and understand where we're headed with this. We wanted to make it easy for you guys to just get everything 
and stay up to date with the latest version. Just like Chad said, there's new renders coming out all the time. And we want to make sure our plugins are like up to date and ready to rock um, for everybody. Okay, so let's get back to some lighting questions. Um, let's see here. I see that one. Uh, I'm going to try to look for this one from, uh, let's see here. Shoot on the dark side for more contrast. I agree. Uh, Steven, let's go with this one. Catch volumetric light PNG alpha. Actually, I don't know that one. Do you know that one? Um, I believe it just happens naturally. I don't think there's anything special you need to do, at least in uh, Redshift and Arnold. Let's see here. Uh, let's try the, Is this the one? Trey? No, it was by uh, Terry Rafala, I, can't, Rafala, I think. I can just yeah. say it too. That's fine. I've got it copied here. Yeah, let, let's jump to that one. Let me just mention Trey's thing here. Currently have an NVIDIA GTX 970. What's the recommended GPU to go with that doesn't break the bank? So there are so many different GPU options. Um, I feel like this might not be the best uh, place to ask those questions. There are so many great forums happening out there and Slack channels and people talking about hardware. And actually, if you're um, uh, in our GSG Connect Slack channel, there's a specific channel just for hardware and they talk software a little bit too, but they really talk about these things and also figure out what graphics cards are even available right now. So um, if you're interested in that stuff, come join the GSG Connect. It's in your account. Just click the Slack, join Slack button and you're in. By the way, many of you clicked the join Slack button the last uh, week and there was an issue like on the website, something was happening and you guys let us know. It is all fixed and ready to go. So you can get back there. Uh, Chad, why don't you read this question and I'll try to find it, put it up on the screen, but yeah, why yeah, don't you I copied uh, it. do it there? So uh, Terry uh, Rafala, I believe, says, uh, Chad, I don't know if my question is relevant. Why Octane Render look like miniature sometimes? And that is actually a really great question because I see it too. And it's not just, I, I don't I don't think it's necessarily fair to just like say it's like Octane's problem. It's not really Octane's problem. And it all comes down to what we talked about last week in cameras. If you don't understand aperture size and you don't understand scene scale, it's really easy to fall into the trappings of having like really crazy depth of field on a shot that it feels unnatural. And why it feels miniature is because that's what happens when you're shooting a macro shot of something. If you have a macro lens and you're, you know, pointing it at a little figure on your desk and you take your shot, it's like this really shallow depth of field, right? So your brain knows what miniature photography looks like because you've seen it your whole life. So when you see a, a render of something that has very unnatural depth of field, it can feel miniature. And that's because the artist is probably using too much depth of field. But anyway. Quick, no, quick, that's a quick answer. That's a good point. And um, if you want to dive deeper into lenses, depth of field, and why all this stuff matters, um, I'll refer you to last, or actually it's two weeks ago's um, live show where we just talked about exactly these types of things, how to pick the right lens, how to pick the right camera, and why that matters so much. And you're actually asking the perfect question on why that matters so much. 
I'm guilty of this. I love depth of field. Uh, you know, it used to cost thousands of dollars to get a lens to do this stuff. And as soon as I could do it in Octane or Redshift, I cranked up the depth of field as high as I could because <laughs> it looks so damn cool. But that's the downside of having a control that isn't built in the physical world where you can fake it. If you push it too far, it looks fake or it looks the wrong scale. Uh, and, and in fact, what I'd recommend you do is go check out the coffee bean scene from last uh, live show we did, the camera one. And Chad shows you like how he chooses the right lens for the right scale of scene. And instantly, as soon as he clicks the right lens type, I think he picked like a F10 or an F8 lens. It all snaps into focus in a good way and, and has less depth of field. And, um, and it, it looks more realistic because it fits the scale of the scene. So I'd recommend you go check that out too. Yeah. A few people are talking in the chat about tilt shift and, and tilt shift is a look, you know, like that's a, that's a look that you can achieve in 3d. But I think it, if you don't use it carefully in 3d, it just looks like you have incorrect, uh, depth of field going on, like incorrect aperture size, um, happening, but yeah, I mean, you can definitely do a tilt shift look. I think tilt shift was like super popular in the 90s in like music videos and stuff. Um, so if you don't know what that is, go ahead and Google it. It's it's a, it's a cool effect. Um, Jeremy has a question. He says, do you have any standards or rules for lighting that you follow 99% of the time? If so, what's the good reason you would break from your conventional strategies? Chad, what's what's your standards of, of lighting? What do, you, what do you almost always do in every scene? I try to light with as few lights as humanly possible. That's my number one rule. And then my second one is I try to, I set my camera up. I, I, get, I, I set my shot up, I should say, before I put any lights in. I set up the shot that I want and the framing and the lens, all that stuff. I set it all up the way I want. And then I start to craft the lighting after that. Because if you start to craft lighting and you're not really sure where the camera's going to be, you're going to be lost. You're not going to be, you're not lighting for the shot and you got to light for the shot. So set up the shot, pick your lens. If it's moving, figure out where that's going to be and what your end frame looks like, what your start frame looks like, where are you going to need to worry about, you know, any issues that might come up and then start to light your scene and just do it one light at a time and build and build and build. And then just don't forget that you can just like take away, just take away. And I mean, honestly, for me, like nine times out of 10, I set my shot, pick my lens. I determine, okay, is this, is this like natural lighting or is this going to be like helped with uh, studio lighting or is it completely studio lit or does it need to feel natural or whatever those questions are. And then I choose a strategy based on that. If, obviously if it's natural lit, I'm probably going to go with an HDRI, maybe with a couple of area lights to fill stuff in. And if it's like full studio, I still have an HDRI just kind of as fill kind of like barely there. And then I'm just like crafting it with with area lights and sometimes spotlights, actually, if I'm using gobos or stuff like that. But, yeah, that's kind of a lot of <laughs> a lot of strategies. <laughs> that's a good point. It, it's it's something to realize is that you picking that camera angle first, like you mentioned, um, is so important because it might look like crap from a different angle. Oh, yeah. But that. But that's okay. You're not you're not seeing it from that angle, and and a lot of the studio and movie magic of making something look like that 
is really making these sides that people don't see ugly. <laughs> just yeah, you so can't light for every angle. It's just not possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's important to realize that the, the exactly what Chad said, finding your angle first. And in fact, you'll find so many cheats when it comes to commercial work. You know, this is why separating out your scenes, this is slightly related to lighting, but separating out your scenes as an animator is so important because if you do a close-up, uh, I think we're talking about a, a cool car render in a bit, so I'll use that analogy. If you're doing a close-up of the tire and then a close-up of the front grill, and then you do a wide shot of the whole car, the lighting setups for all three of those could be totally drastically different. Completely <laughs> different scenes, completely different light. And it's it, it's important to understand um it's important to understand that that's how it is it, obviously in the real world when they try to just make the badge of the car gleam in a perfect way that's a completely different lighting setup than when they do the wide shot than when they do for the interior for example so if you start thinking in that way you're you're it's going to look more natural and it's also going to allow you to um light for the camera and not light for the model if that makes sense um, always light for the camera and that you know that that's something that i think isn't like talked about enough like if you have if let's say you're doing like a multi-shot sequence don't expect that your lighting setup for the first shot is just going to automatically work for the second and third shot you might need to completely relight and and you might have like a few of the same key but you need might need to move it a little bit so i think that you know you have to really you have to like approach every shot uniquely unless the camera angle is like super similar. It's just like a punch in or something, but yeah, you have to write light for every shot, light for every shot. And, and I think you'll, you'll have better results. <laughs> Matt Nowak. Good to see you, buddy. Say creamy oranges spitting that knowledge, Matt. I hope you're well, man. It's been a while. Good to see you. <laughs> uh, creamy orange. Got a throwback, baby. All right, let's get through some more questions here. Uh, short, uh, depth of field. We got tilt shift. Got oh, I got I'm scrolling way back. Let's get into the future here. Um, let's see here. Illuminate a scene. We are showing particles or textures. This might be interesting. Uh, Cam Camillo Camillo uh, is asking, uh, what is the best way to illuminate a scene where you're showing particles or textures? Um, man, those are like two kind of different things. But do you, let's talk about particles. Is what what is what is the best way to to light for particles i mean that could mean so many things like i i need i would need more information like are we talking about like particle like bugs are we talking about like abstract shapes like i mean it really i never approach anything like oh this is how i light a particle like i always kind of approach it like what am i making what what's the response i'm trying to get where am i trying to lead the viewer's eye how can i approach this to give it visual interest is it moody is it bright is it fun is it you know i just try to like figure out what the mood is that i want to achieve and then i use lighting to help me kind of get there but it's funny like um I wouldn't necessarily don't think of it like I'm I'm doing some some category of 3D. Is there a strategy for lighting for that? Not really, not really. Yeah, I would say there. It, it's good to have tricks in your pocket of things to try. Um, I would say when it comes to particles, if they're not 
if they're not self-illuminated, you know, if they're not like pixie dust magical particles, then I would um, start with a backlight, like a big, big backlight. If you imagine uh, like a dusty, if you're going to shoot something practically and you have some fog in the scene or some dust and you really want to show that like dusty library look, a really strong backlight from the back corner of the library aiming at the lens will pick up all that dust and dirt and stuff. So if that, that's kind of the, the vibe I'm getting from this question, but if, if not, ignore me. But I would experiment with some backlighting off to the side, really bright, just to like outline every little particle and piece of dust, if that is something. In fact, with the dust that we have, we got to do another video with the dust. I feel like we made all those videos and then now this awesome Alembic dust stuff is just sitting there. But if you're a Plus member, we have this Alembic dust pack and I use it all the time where you get that exact look when you need those just like little micro floaty particle dusty library um west world kind of like dusty skeleton look i don't know I, it's hard to it's hard skeleton to... <laughs> what what i'm I, I don't know where the skeleton came from this is the I west like world it. thing right I like it. okay got the west okay. world titles hey, okay I don't know. I don't know how this brain works. I could works. shake my my pillow off <laughs> in the camera and we would see it in real life. Pillow the, dust. I mean, look, I call it skeleton dust. Chad calls us pillow dust. We all have our dust. You know, we have our yeah. dust in the closet. Yeah. All right. Angel dust. Angel. <laughs> Whatever you're into. Um. Anyway, try backlight. Let's get to some more questions. Thank you for the questions so much, guys. Um. Let's get to a few more and then we'll jump into cinema. We'll do some more practical lighting. And uh, I know Chad's got a really cool scene file to show you guys uh yeah sean's asking the right question thanks for joining sean good to see you buddy uh let's see here we got some specific ones about specific renderers and i i think it's important just to remind everybody that uh and chad already said it the a lot these third-party renderers use the same um techniques to do what they do now they call it different things and you know, the brightness on the lighting is different in all of the renderers, and it's important to know those details. But what's important to know is what we're talking about today are the fundamentals of how light works, how it bounces, and how it tells a story in your 3D render. Those things are cross-platform. Those things work in physical render. Those things work with a camera and a light in your studio. So the more that you try to learn those techniques um, that just work no matter what, the less it really matters what renderer you use other than the technicals of like, where do you get a softbox? How do you dial up the settings? How to do volumetrics? That's obviously important. But when it comes to something like this, like light outdoor lighting scenes in Redshift to use the physical sun sky and HDRI or both, I think whatever the answer is, is really going to go across the board, which is um, I've, uh, I mostly use HDRIs as my general lighting and then use area lights and other light practical lights to dial up and, and really give the scene some shape. Um, I have had some good use with the physical sun and sky and many renderers have that kind of type of thing where they have a, uh, a sky color and then an actual sun with a shadow. What I would say is if you want that hard shadow look like, like it's overhead sun, you know, at midday or something like that, I would recommend using the, um, either a physical sun sky setup or an HDRI and then a parallel light or a point light or something like an infinite light with uh, a, a, a hard shadow turned on. 
Um, so I would just say like, no matter what render you use, that's a pretty good setup. Um, any other notes for that one, Chad? No, I, I pretty much do the same thing. I try to see like, okay, what time of day are we talking about here? If I can find, um, if one of our sky HDRIs that we have, the ultimate skies works, I try to use that. And if it doesn't work, then I do what you said, infinite light and then HDRI for the sky. And then, um, <laughs> beard dust, <laughs> beard dust is real, dude. Um, anyway, and it shows up on the sweatshirt a lot. Uh, but yeah, I, I would do the same approach. Awesome. All right. We're scrolling through here. We got some more questions. Da, 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 da. Here's an interesting one. Effect, Effectatron asks, do you guys ever make any concepts practically physically in the real world before making it in 3d? Um, I, I feel like I did this a lot more when rendering was more expensive <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and by expensive, I mean, slow. Um, it was it was actually the fastest way that I learned how good lighting worked was in the real world. And I and even with um even with how fast the the new renderers are, I think you can learn a lot even with your iPhone and um you know take a take a cool thing off your shelf or a little vinyl toy, sit it on a table, grab your camera, grab an iPhone. Uh, zoom in if possible, if you got the two X lens, you know, like we talked about lenses last week, pick a lens that's practical for a studio type of stuff, zoom in a little bit, uh, and then grab, uh, maybe an old phone actually, or some sort of small light source, an iPad, make it white and darken all the lights in the room and move it around. And you'll see very, very quickly what light does in different places. You can do the same thing in your third-party render if you have a fast enough machine. Set it all up, pick one softbox, and uh, pick one area of light, and move it around your object and find the different shapes you can make. Um, I think it's a hugely helpful thing to see it practically and to see what one light does in different places. And then learn how to combine two, and then three, and that's how you'll find some more of these details. Uh, Chad, you ever you ever dial stuff up phys physically, practically like that anymore? Not in a long time. Um, back in the day, we did a uh, yogurt commercial, and in the commercial, we needed cherries to fall into yogurt and chocolate little you know uh, shavings to fall into yogurt. So in our little shooting stage that we had at DK, I think it was on. I forget which floor it was on. But um, yeah, we went, we bought a bunch of yogurt and we shot a bunch of practical cherries and chocolate falling into this yogurt just so we could see for reference, like, what does it look like? Where should we, what should we worry about? What should our 3D look like when we recreate this? How does it move? How does it, how does the light penetrate into the yogurt? All that sort of thing. So it's really, really useful if you're doing something like that and you need to shoot a reference so that you can recreate it in 3D. Don't be afraid to like, even if it's just with your phone, if you're trying to make something look real, a lot of the times uh, I think people just go right to Google and looking for reference, but you have a great camera. Chances are you have a great camera like right here in your pocket and you can shoot your own reference and really play around with it. Uh, yep. Agreed. All right. We got a few more questions here and then, um, and then we'll transition into some cinema stuff, maybe even talk about some, how to, how to, bring some of these practical lighting techniques into cinema. Um, we got a 
Somewhat lighting-related one here from Damien says, uh, seeing a lot of renders using the Bloom post effect often from Octane. I think a lot of the, a lot of the renders have that as well. What do you guys think about such effects? Um, uh, I'll, I'll go real quick. I, I enjoy having those settings dialed up uh, pretty subtly, but I do enjoy that look. Um, I, I think it can be overdone. Um, I think it's one of those things like, like anything, like when record scratching was invented, it was everywhere. It was too much <laughs> depth of field, depth of field. Yeah. Another good example. Um, depth of field with like a Canon 5d, you know, like, like way too much. And then we dial it back. So I, I, I think, uh, you could be subtle with it, but I enjoy those effects. I think they're pretty when done well, I think it's a good algorithm. Like I think they have pretty good, uh, like, uh, settings in there. So I would dial it back. Um, I think the defaults are actually pretty decent and subtle. Uh, just turning on the the post effects, I, I, they don't overdo it, which is nice. But I enjoy it. I think it gives it a little bit of that randomness, a little bit of that blooming, uh, letting light light wrap around things and bleed a little bit. I think it helps add to that realism um, quite a lot. Uh, and then, of course, the downside is it's baked in. Uh, I we used to do fake all this stuff and after effects and compositing and glows and overlays and light leaks and lens flares and all the little tricks that we've had over the years to fake this stuff. Um, but I'm, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying it built right in. Um, what do you think, Chad? Yeah, I think when it's done tastefully, it's totally fine. I, I, I do think you have to be careful if you're baking it into your render and the client or whoever you're making it for is like, Hey, listen, I like it, but you, you know, what's with all this glow? Um, and then you might have to re-render, which would be tricky. But I think when it's done tastefully, it's totally fine. And it can actually, the way I like to use it is to fake atmosphere because that's really what blooming is. It's light being scattered into water or dust or whatever is the atmosphere in the room. So it can be kind of a cheap wave of like getting a little bit of that atmospheric look without having to pay for it in the render. So it can be beneficial. I used to just be like this like, total like do it in post you know don't what are you doing like stop putting it in your render and then i sort of like realized like well you know i with i'm i'm working in aces a lot i'm not comping as much as i used to i'm not like trying to sweeten everything as much in the comp because everything's looking so good out of the renderer these days that i think if you can do it and it makes sense then go for it but um I mean, yeah, if you can separate it out, somebody was just mentioning separate it out, that's obviously the best way to do it. Um, but yeah, it, it, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think when it's overused, like when depth of field became easy or cheap to achieve, everybody was like, you know, shallow, shallow, shallow all the time. And I think what we're seeing is a little bit of that when that kind of became um, the thing in Octane and now Redshift has it and Arnold has it. I think you'll see it sort of start to, slow down a little bit and get a little bit more natural but yeah with like everything that's like a new thing i think it's just your, your instinct is just oh that new thing i want to try it but yeah tasteful just always be tasteful keep it tasteful keep it tasteful hey look at this a twitch comment we see you out there twitch uh twitch commenters uh thank you guys for watching from twitch and facebook as well we see those come through that's really cool this uh thing allows us to stream out to all you guys Thank you for joining. Uh, uh, Ed, Ed, Eduardo, Ed, I'm going to mess this up. Eduardo? That's not right. Ed, 
Hope you're doing well. Yeah, there you go. Got a question. (laughs) Got a question. (laughs) Can you give us advice about composition, any book or website? Um, So I'd I'd just refer you back to our last live show. Um, uh, Chad pulled up an excellent uh, website called Film. What was that film website? Oh, Frame Grab. Frame Grab. Um, so I would, I would start there, check out last week's, uh, or two weeks ago's live stream all about cameras. Um, we talk a little bit about composition and about studying filmmaking. Um, even if you're not going to make films or even pull out a practical camera ever in your career, um, learn how, how film and commercials and and photography and studio photography and all learn the techniques that have been used for hundreds of years, over a hundred years now, um, that has helped me and many other people learn what composition is. Uh, filmmake, get a book about filmmaking, learn about the close up and the wide shot and the over the shoulder shot and why choose different camera um, angles, why rule choose different, yep, rule of thirds, golden um, ratio, all that stuff, golden ratio. These are perfect things to go look up and learn from. Um, and so there's really not a, a, a tip or a technique. I'll, I think there are maybe two tips to, to bring out of how to start to, uh, make a beautiful composition that doesn't look like everything else. One is don't center everything. Just a, a good rule of thumb. Uh, unless you're going for a very specific look, try not to just like center everything. Now that is also a trend right now. We have these animated GIF type things and white frames with something beautiful in the middle. That's okay to center. But when you're trying That's to kind of my favorite, that is kind of my favorite too. <laughs> now that, now you, you got to know when to break it. Right. It's However, true. learn uh, if you're trying to expand your compositional, uh, you know, like language, try to force yourself to uh, crop, your subject that you're trying to frame in some corner. Just say like, I'm not gonna show the whole thing in this scene. I'm gonna crop in, I'm gonna only show what's important. I'm gonna make it mysterious by only showing half of the face or something like that. So that's that's all I would say to start is to take the beautiful model that you're trying to show off or do something with and force yourself to not show all of it. How can you tell a story by showing a part of a model or uh, looking up at it from a weird angle or down or all that stuff. But um, also check out la- uh, two weeks ago's uh, live show as well. <clears throat> yeah, give things room to breathe. I think that's what, that's a thing that I like to do is like, I like to give some room to the stuff in, in my shots to breathe. And also another tip that, um, that I learned in, in terms of like cinematography is if you have a character, I'm going to move myself to the side here, right? If you have a character sitting on this side of the frame and they're, let's say they're looking this way, that's not super interesting, right? Because there's just no room there. We don't know where they're looking. We don't know what's happening. But all of a sudden, if I'm looking up into this space where there's actual space in the frame, it's more interesting. So if you have a character or something that's looking in a direction, give room on that side that they're looking to breathe. A little tip. I like that. I like that. Um, all right. Oh, we got all these great examples of overdoing it, like synthesizers in the 80s. That's okay. Hey, I like synthesizers from the 80s. <laughs> so that's okay. 
there was that period like you know i'm a big rush fan but you hit those 80s rush albums you're like Shit, they discovered the synthesizer you know it's like uh and then you know what they did they dialed it in overdid it for two records mm. and then they dialed it in and this happened over and over again you know what i mean it'll this correct is, itself it's it just correct itself it's just great it's okay. give it time give it time film grab thank you rachel appreciate you rachel for uh, rachel's hanging up, out throwing up some uh links here rachel helped us get the word out about this show and set all this stuff up appreciate you she's also got the band hammer okay so you know watch it out there <laughs> she's itching to use it too <laughs> uh uh, Effect Detron says Ash Thorpe's a great example of composition and framing. I think he 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 has very cinematic work. I think that's a great place to start. Ash is a great artist. Um, go check him out. He is he is cinematic and knows the rules of film and uses it to his advantage. That's a great great person to go look and and check out their art. Uh, awesome stuff. Um, let's see here. All right, I think we're winding down on the questions. Uh, so why don't we um, jump into Cinema 4D and um, I'm gonna keep an eye out just for a couple more questions here, but Chad, why don't you get uh, something ready in Cinema? We'll, we'll try to approach some of these questions that we had even in Cinema. And I know you have some stuff to show. And let's see here. Um, in the meantime, I'll just double check for other questions. <laughs> uh rachel has watch out rachel has the power thank you rachel uh depeche mode see depeche mode you know when Dude, you're all synthesizers yeah. you just got to go all in depeche modes i think i think they stood the test of time that doesn't sound dated to me that sounds like the future still for amazing sure stuff kenny rogers <laughs> who said uh, kenny rogers that's amazing that's good uh that's good Ken, Kenny needs to do a synth album i think that's what we've learned <laughs> well now that daft punk broke up i mean i think somebody needs to take their place i can't think of many more people than kenny rogers to really step up the game there's, some, there's room there's room there for <laughs> sure all right let me answer this one quick question here before we jump into cinema and let chad drive um as a GSG Plus member, thank you, Benny, by the way. As a GSG Plus member and new to Cinema 40, where to start to learn more deep stuff than the fundamentals, but more than the guided path? Um, a, a, a few things. Uh, Rachel, I'm going to ask for your help on this one. We just put out a, uh, a guide to beginners that are using uh, Cinema 40. Uh, and this is for Grayscale Gorilla Plus members who are ready to like learn as much as they can about cinema 40 we have a ton of uh getting started stuff obviously in at grayscale gorilla plus we built a guide uh, exactly for this question which is where do i start and then once i know the basics where do i go next and this guide is a great place to start because something on this guide after you watch our intro to cinema 40 um and our also our guide to cinema 40 which which dives into some of the newer tools once you're familiar with that stuff, a lot of people are asking, where do I go next? Um, so first of all, hopefully Rachel's uh, got this link together. If not, just go to our um, website, go to our articles or our blog section, look for one of the most recent uh, blog posts we put out uh, all about the beginner's guide to Grayscale Gorilla Plus. Tons of awesome links. Thank you, Rachel, for linking that. It's right here in, um, uh, I'll just click it too. So. So you guys could see it down the road on a recording go here and check this out 
find something in that list that speaks to you and go down that rabbit hole. The last thing I'll say about this is no matter where you are in your career, there's always going to be parts of the software, parts of uh, the types of render that you want to make that will pull you in a different direction. So what I would say is once you understand the really basic fundamentals of Cinema 4D and you followed along on some of our training, start to listen to what you want to learn next because 3D is huge. You can go be an expert modeler. You could go and just study lighting. You can just go and study just liquid simulations. You can go and be a part of this 3D world almost however you want to. Um, but think about how you want to use these tools and what your outcome is because that's going to that's going to steer how you learn your next stuff. So if these things are interesting, how to use cameras and lighting and materials to create something beautiful, uh, if this is interesting to you, start to look into studio lighting. Start to watch some of the um, uh, uh, training that we have about studio lighting. We have this great one. Uh, Nick V made one all about the, this pair of headphones. He shows you. Is that one in Octane? Yeah. Yeah, so, I think so. Nick, uh, Nick V, excellent trainer. It's got some... Good stuff. We have a new one coming from him uh, very soon, by the way. He shows you how to light uh, some headphones and uses a lot of these techniques we've talked about today. If you are using Octane, even if you're not using Octane, you'll learn a lot about how to light like a studio uh, lighter in that one as well. But that should get you started there. Rachel, thank you for um, linking to that. And for those of you who are in Plus, um, we know that uh, so many of you are, are not beginners. You're actually joining because we have Redshift and other third-party render training and all of our plugins and all that stuff. We're actually building more of these guides just for you guys. If So if you're an Octane user, we're going to have a similar guide that's like guide to what, what to learn next in Octane. So stay tuned for that stuff. And we're going to do it for Arnold, Redshift, Octane, uh, and some other stuff we have planned. So stay tuned. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ben. Appreciate that. GSG is the best for learning cool tricks, features you wouldn't think of. That's why we're here. Scribble's asking, been watching GSG for years, noticed some old tutorials that were free and no longer featured on uh, YouTube. Is there a reason? Um, Scribble, uh, the the short answer is we're actually remastering a lot of videos right now um, that are coming back to Grayscale Gorilla. So what you're probably mentioning were not videos that were on YouTube that disappeared. Um, it's probably more likely that these are Vimeo videos from way back that when we uh, shifted to our new website and everything else, we just uh, uh, did not include any Vimeo videos uh, for many reasons. Vimeo uh, uh, playback issues are a part of that. Um, but if you've been uh, looking at our YouTube channel lately, you may be seeing some classics coming back. So we're actually remastering some older uh, videos that are still 100% watchable and usable in Cinema 4D. Um, and we're bringing those back to YouTube. So make sure you're subscribed on YouTube. And when we drop those, you'll be seeing some classics. Uh, in fact, we just dropped one today. Rachel just put it out. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, and we also put out another one earlier this week from Chad. Might be Chad's like first tutorial with Grayscale Gorilla, where he did this awesome uh, uh, animated GIF looping uh, fuzz, fuzzy ball thing in, in Cinema 4D. Um, so check that out. It, it, and you'll be you'll be seeing more videos soon in the classics uh, uh, collection coming out. Um, and unlike Disney, we'll just leave them out, and you can just watch your classics anytime. We won't, you know, pull them after after Christmas. Um, all right, back into the vault. Back into the <laughs> can you imagine? That'd be amazing. 
Hey, everybody, don't forget to watch this tutorial. It's going back in the vault for another. Oh, I hated when they did that. Another three years. I was like, why do they do that? <laughs> I just want to watch Sword in the Stone. Come on. <laughs> uh, the cherries. Oh, see this. Oh, man, the cherries. See, that? that's a tough one. That one, Some of those really early tutorials are uh, mostly follow-alongable, but enough changes have happened in like the MoGraph um, uh, menu and how MoGraph works, especially fields um, and the way that uh, uh, effectors work, that it is a little bit tough to follow along with some of those really old tutorials from early, early, early Grayscale Girls. So maybe we need to like re-remaster them. I got to like, do I dress up like it's the uh, the late 20s, tw 2000s? I think 20s would be funny. Huh? <laughs> like, I'm just in a zoot suit. And I'm yeah, really... you're, uh, no, you're in a flapper dress. I feel like that <laughs> would be that would be funnier. Look, guys, I'll do it for you if you want. We'll just do re, re really remaster the classics. What do you think, Rachel? I got to get word. We got to get wardrobe on this one. All right, that'll be fun. Uh, <laughs> gonna re regret this recording when Disney buys Grayscale Gorilla. Got to really <laughs> watch out. Yes, uh, Disney's gonna own us all here really soon. So we better we better play nice with the mousy. Play nice, Adam. Thank you guys. Chad, thank you, buddy. Um, yeah, dude. Thank you guys for all the questions. Thank you for joining us. Uh, stay tuned. We're gonna try to do this again in another couple weeks. Uh, so if you're watching on YouTube, hit the uh, subscribe. You hit the notifications. What that'll do is let you know not only when new videos are uh, dropping. We have all these new videos coming out next week, all about the new stuff uh, in Plus. Cannot wait to show you guys that. But also, uh, a week after that, we'll have um, another live show. So if you want to make sure you don't miss this, uh, do the notifications thing. That way, you'll get notified. That's what notifications are. Um, other than that, thank you guys for all the uh, questions. Let me throw up the... Um, I said throw up now, too, Chad. It's, uh, I know, it's contagious. Throw up the chat here so we could all say <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Uh, thank you guys for all the good questions. Thank you for uh, joining us and for the plus members as well. I know we reached out to you guys specifically and had you guys uh, join us in the show. We appreciate you guys. Uh, we built plus exactly for you guys to, to help um, speed all this stuff up and to uh, have access to all these tools. So uh, we're going to look into these scripts uh, and uh, hopefully we'll have an announcement, probably not with next week's drop, but maybe soon after we'll figure out a, uh, a, a date to get you guys those lens scripts, uh, maybe these rotation scripts too, but um, we'll uh, we'll get that to you guys as well. Uh, happy hour. Absolutely. Happy hour. Cheers, Chad. I, I have a, a warm beer now, but that's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to save that one for, for after water. That's just straight vodka, right? Yep. <laughs> keep rendering folks happy rendering guys uh we love all your questions thank you guys so much for joining us uh and um uh um, um, um what else we will see you guys real soon stay tuned next week for some big announcements and if not we'll see you next week and uh or two weeks from now on another live show thank you team uh for helping get this going i know many of you are in the um chat so thank you grace gorilla team for getting all this rocking and rolling and uh, we will see you guys soon. We got, all right. One of these days, I'll I'll get the guitar out, Travis. We'll I'll I'll play us off the live stream, but not today, not today, my friend. Today it's all about singing.
Here we go. <clears throat> oh, no, please. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. I don't, get me out of here. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Chad. Uh, you guys. Thank you, guys. We'll see you in another show really soon. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Thanks again for joining us for today's podcast. Don't forget, if you want to join these live streams live and ask questions, you can do that over on YouTube. We also broadcast on Twitch and Facebook as well. Hope to see you in there asking some questions. And don't forget to also go check out Grayscale Gorilla and sign up for a free account if you haven't done that yet. We have a ton of goodies behind the scenes. You could join for free and get started. If you're new to Cinema 4D, we have an incredible intro to Cinema 4D series to sign up for for free over there. And then of course, if you are working in Cinema 4D for a living and doing client work, don't forget to check out Grayscale Gorilla Plus. We design it to help make your renders more beautiful and help speed up your workflow day to day. So go check that out. Thanks again for joining us and look for another new podcast hitting pretty soon here on the feed. And until then, hope you're having a good day. We'll see you soon. Bye, everybody.